Hey everyone, welcome in to another daily editorial here on the KE Report. Getting an update from Elemental Altus Royalties traded on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELE and on the OTCQX under the symbol ELEMF. We are chatting with the CEO, Frederick Bell. Now, a few news releases for us to get to, including Q3 revenue numbers, which we will also tie into expected revenue for 2023, as well as some royalty updates and inaugural royalty asset handbook that the company has published and some director changes. So Fred, there's a lot for us to get to. Let's start off with at least the Q3 revenue numbers that were released late in November. Company recorded record revenue of $7.8 million. That is for the nine months up to September 30th. And then also the expectation of revenue for 2023 being between 16 million up to 17.7 million. This is mostly in guide with the previous adjusted revenue guidance. Fred, talk to us about the continued growth here in terms of revenue. And also there's a table within that news release that shows where the revenue comes from. And quite frankly, the growth that you have seen at a number of different assets. Hi, Corey and Chad. Yes, lots to talk about and digest here. But the, the key takeaway is that 2023 will be another record year in terms of revenue for the company. Um, I think it will actually be the um, the seventh year um, of record revenue. So every year has been a has been a record. And with some of the growth that we've got coming, that will continue into 2024 is our expectation. And I think Q3 in that regard, it was pretty solid in line with expectations. And we've got one asset in particular in Bonacro that really ramps up. And, and our guidance was it ramps up from the end of last year going into this year. And then it is very much a material royalty for us going forwards. And we've also got Deba the Kampfler, uh, which really kicks in from H1 this year with Allied Gold there as well. And I think, yeah, we should, once we get our Q4s out, we should be able to give some more commentary on that. But the important thing to note is that as well as increasing revenue, we're actually decreasing the costs. So we will have lower G&A in 2024 than we had significantly lower than we had in 2023. So we should see a couple of million dollars of savings on the G&A front. And we should see a number of million more on the revenue front. You know, I, I think we could say 20 million plus and exactly where that number lands, we'll see. But um, yeah, all in, it should be a pretty material difference in terms of free cash flow to the bottom line. Well, Fred, just to that point, and maybe we get a lot of questions about this. Probably the biggest question is, why not keep some of those prospect developer projects and drill them yourselves? And so I think what you just outlined there is significant as far as the G&A savings and the increase in revenue, but also just maybe speak to the strategy the company had about bringing in all these different partners, creating more royalties and letting them run with it just from the speed of the drilling and the execution of the drilling on the ground. Yeah. And this is a really key point. I mean, the deal we did in, in Egypt was a, it's a fantastic deal within two metals. Into metals is completely funded by uh, Nagib Sawiris, who's a principal of La Mancha, uh, which is the biggest shareholder in Endeavor Mining, very successful Egyptian billionaire well-known in the mining industry. And Into Metals started drilling in December. I think they started drilling before they actually had a functioning website. 
which is one of the benefits of being a private company and being led by a technical team, is you don't have to do marketing. You don't have to put documents together as a public company. You really, your focus is in the ground. So we were not going to drill Egypt and to find a partner who could come in and hit the ground running and start drilling straight away and had the financial capability to do that and the technical competence and team already in place. That's a really good start. So really exciting to see them start drilling there. And as a reminder for people, they are earning in to up to 80% of the equity. So if they spend 10 million US, we will we will have a 20% equity stake. We also have a royalty on all the projects and we have deferred payments in the event of a delineation of resource of a million ounces and plus plus. So we have a we do have a lot of leverage and exposure to those projects. And we don't have to spend any more money. And they're advancing it faster and quicker than, than we could ever have done. And then the second one is Debla Counter in Mali, which we touched on. And um, I think Allied announced in December that they had started the construction of a 12 to $15 million haul road from their existing mine to the Deba satellite pit, which is what we have the royalty and the payments on. And they should be putting some guidance out this quarter. And, and that will be a material royalty for us going forwards. And we have another, I think, $5 million of payments that will come in alongside production over the next, call it, 24 months. So both of those assets combined, a lot of money being invested to advance them, a lot of risk capital being deployed, and we retain exposure through payments, equity, and royalty. Right. Can you also just give us a bit more color on this Casaronas, the royalty revenue from that equity investment, because that filters into the adjusted revenue number, which for the nine months ended September was $12.2 million. Casarones contributed almost four and a half million to that number. When you compare it to 2022, it contributed a little over 600,000. So you've seen huge growth at Casarones. What's the outlook for Casarones? Yes. And look, it's, it's just a tricky one from an accounting perspective. So we really do use the adjusted revenue number so that we can include the Casarones royalty revenue in that total number. And Casarones, as you said, four and a half million for the first three quarters of, of last year. So that's a big jump. And, and part of that is timing of payments. And, and part of it is also when the merger closed without us last year. So what is included? But I mean, it is pretty clear to people that with Lundin as a majority owner of Casaronis, it has a very bright future ahead of it. And they have, Lundin have recently said, and I think there was a site visit conducted earlier this month at Casaronis, with a number of analysts there. And I think the feedback is there's a lot of exploration potential there. There hasn't been any exploration drilling since 2013, so about a decade ago. And that's simply because there's such a large mine life already. The resource has so much potential and it's so big that if JX Nippon weren't going to increase the size of the mine, they didn't need to do any exploration. And Lundin have come in and said, well, actually, you know, we can increase the size of the mine. We can increase throughput. They can get water there from their desalination plant. So if they have the potential to do that, all of a sudden they're incentivized to do exploration. And of course, they've been extremely successful on the licenses adjacent to the south at NGX. And that whole Vicunia district that Lundines have through Jose Maria, through Filo, through NGX and through Casarones, it's multi, multi-billion dollar valuation on those assets. And yeah, they know the terrain, they understand the geology, they understand the exploration potential. So for us, a great steward of that asset and definitely, I think, improve the outlook and the confidence from a market perspective. But also, 
and it, it's it's helpful is it, it gives us better visibility because as a public company they will be reporting on a quarterly basis much like allied gold on the assets we have with them so it means that there is more disclosure on it and more public disclosure that we can also share with our our shareholders yeah fred and i think another key point is that a lot of your peers in the royalty space have been touting that they don't only they don't just have precious metals now, but some of them also have nice copper exposure. This Casarone's asset gives you some of that copper exposure. And I think last time we talked, you said you had about 75% gold, 22% copper, and 3% other metals, but that might have shifted a little bit. But I mean, maybe just for people listening in that are looking at royalty companies now as a good way to get a diversified basket of assets in the space. You have mostly precious metals, but you do have nice copper assets. You have 10 producing royalties, and then you have 78 royalty assets overall. Are there any other ones besides Casarones that you're excited about in the year to come in 2024? The other big copper asset we have um, that we acquired last year is the royalty on Arizona and Sonoran's Cactus Project. And that is directly adjacent, and it's part of the same, ultimately, geological ore body as Ivanhoe Electric. That's Ivanhoe with Friedland their project, which again is contiguous and to the southeast. So that's had quite a lot of updates and news over the past weeks and months. And I think that um, Rio Rio Tinto have invested further in it with their Newton technology. Uh, Arizona and Sonoran have a PFS coming out this quarter. And I think from our perspective, we talk about a royalty like Casarones being a user phrase of really long-term generational asset it will be producing for decades to come. I think with with cactus, it is, a from the way we look at it, it's an asset that will be 20 to 30 years and the potential to expand beyond and beyond that. So if we can get royalties on these types of assets that give us really long-term, really high-quality upside potential, I think it's incredibly attractive. And we're, we're unusual in that we don't just have a couple of those in the portfolio. We have a couple of those already in production in the portfolio. Fred, let's also talk about this royalty asset handbook that the company released in mid-December. It's the first one that you've put out and it really goes through all the different royalties that the company has, even provides a bit more of a corporate overview. It's almost 70 pages long, but it does give people the ability to look into these royalties. What, what do you want to convey through this asset handbook to investors or to anybody just looking at the company? Well, look, firstly, for royalty geeks like myself, it's a lot of fun to read other companies' handbooks and get the detail on the assets. And so we wanted to have something like that, that we can build on every year and we can include the royalties and and the asset hand dates and we can share it with some of our stakeholders and and shareholders. So it's it's a bit of a sometimes labor of love putting together for the first time. And um, but great to great to have it there, and and we'll continue to do it going forwards. And I think it enables us to draw out a few of the assets that maybe you can't always fit in in a presentation. And I think in a presentation, you, you know, a lot of the focus is on call it the top ten assets, and a lot of the rest people don't even necessarily know that you own. So I think there's some really you know good quality assets in there that we don't often talk about. And if someone wants to go and get some more detail you can go and do that. And I think some of these, there are, I think, three, four past producing mines in there. And they don't, you know, they don't really even feature in the highlights of our presentation. So it's a great resource for people. It gives a really good idea. And I think a very transparent outlook on the royalties and on the coverage areas. 
Well, and Fred, uh, yeah, that's an intense booklet. I've actually had it pulled up on my desk the last couple of days reading it over. And uh, there's a lot of information on the royalties that your team has built and acquired. But there's also been, in addition to the handbook, some addition in the, the staff. You've had a, a few new directors, and that's on the La Mancha side. So maybe just speak to you know the team shuffling around, but looking forward to a bright 2024. Yes, we had, uh, we had, um, I think, uh, we had a couple of changes on the board front. Um, so we had Steve, who had been our exec chair um, and came from the Altus merger and um, done a phenomenal amount of work um, building the company and particularly some of the assets we've just been talking about. Debel Accountler in Mali, Egypt portfolio, Bonacro ramping up. Um, a lot of these were assets that Altus had, had had with the merger and they'd put a lot of time and effort into. And I think Steve said in his announcement that he'd taken the company through, grown it through what you might call uh, asteroid belts and the tricky startup phase and got it to a position now where it's got a really fantastic outlook in terms of the portfolio, the revenue growth, our development and exploration asset base is, is much larger than it ever has. And so... You know, I think we wish Steve all the best and, you know, very much still a big shareholder in us and still in touch. And then alongside that, our big shareholder, La Mancha, partly due to uh, one of their directors taking a role at one of their other investee companies, that was Kareem. He needed to step off the board and, and focus really on that. So another of the um, La Mancha team came on board as a director alongside Jack. And um, Jack, who has been at La Mancha, uh, he's the resource geologist there really enjoyed working with him over the last year and he's pretty up to speed with some of the projects and opportunities we've been looking at and how we review things so he joined the board as well which is great because i think the, our business development team you know have taken advantage perhaps too liberally um, of jack's time to date so very good having him on the team as well and being able to strengthen our technical capacity so, Fred, do these changes, either to the chairman or directors, does it change the strategy for the company, especially on the acquisition front for royalties? No, look, I think it's it's very much the same. We've still got the same eight directors. La Mancha's still on there. Um, one of our existing non-execs, John Robbins, he's very well known in North American markets for a whole host of companies, probably Great Bear and Great Bear Royalties most recently. Uh, John John joined, uh, took the role as, as non-exec chair. So I think it is very much business as usual. And I think our message over the past year has been that we're seeing a lot of opportunity and a lot of deal flow in this market and to be cash flow positive, to be increasingly so, and to have lower overheads because we have partnered our Malian and our Egyptian projects. It puts us in a really strong position to do more acquisitions, not less, and continue to be aggressive in a, in a down market because... Let's be clear, the best time to make money in the mining business is in the down markets. And the best time to invest you know, is to be brave when others are fearful. And we have lived through this. We've lived through this as a team individually. And some of the board have lived through many mining cycles. And um, you know, the challenge is, it's easy to say that in theory, but it's much harder to do in practice. And often when there is a downturn, you can have the idea, but you, you don't have the money. And uh, we're going to have more funds available to us than we've ever had before and more cash flow available to us than we've ever had before. And it puts us in a really strong position going into the new year. All right, Fred, thank you very much for this update. We'll post a link to the news section for all the news releases that we have covered here. 
please send us any follow-up questions for Fred you have for any aspect of the company, and we will follow up with Fred as some more news comes out, especially Q4 revenue and anything else in the interim. So Fred, thank you again for your time in this update. Much appreciate it, guys.